Uh, hi, Keith here with Rebel Civics. The Rebel Civics Show on the Unsafe Space Network is an education and discussion show on the principles of government, society, and individual rights. Today, we have a special episode with guest Roland Demers. Roland will be teaching the principles of Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine as part of a classroom instruction for a group of students working towards their Florida Professional Security Officer license. The class segment also implies to the Florida Concealed Weapon License class, um, usually referred to as a concealed carry permit. Uh, 27 other states in the U.S. have similar statutes to Florida's Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine. They partially or fully recognize the principle of individual rights that's behind this legislation. Uh, Florida was the first to enact that, and uh, a number of other states uh, use Florida's as a model. Uh, many state governments recognize only part of the right to self-defense that is covered here in this class. Uh, for example, some states have a duty to retreat requirement. It's the opposite of stand your ground and castle doctrine. Uh, some states even have a duty to retreat inside your home. And uh, New Jersey's one where I used to live. Uh, this episode has some discussion of the, the wide variation in U.S. states on the principles and uh, state infringement on the right to self-defense. The special episode takes place in Roland's Blackhawk security classroom with seven students. The uh, students have a wide range of backgrounds, made the class discussions very interesting. Uh, we had formal law enforcement, U.S. and foreign military, medevac, and private security experience here. Um, I'm going to go over a couple definitions that came up uh, a little earlier in the class. Uh, a stand your ground state or stand your ground, um, I'm going to refer to Florida's, but the Florida stand your ground law is a legal recognition for people who encounter a reasonable threat of bodily injury or death. Stand your ground means you can legally meet force with force, including deadly force. You have no requirement to attempt to retreat. That applies in public and private spaces in Florida. Um, a, a restricted version of this, uh, some states have a castle doctrine, but not a stand your ground. So you can essentially, you can stand your ground inside your house, uh, but maybe not on your property outside uh, and not in public. Um, that might be called a castle doctrine state, but not a stand your ground state. Um, uh, by the way, Castle Doctrine in Florida and some other states also applies inside the vehicle. So when you're inside your vehicle, you have the right to stand your ground in Florida and in uh, a number of other states. Uh, another type of state is called a right to defend state. We're going to talk about that briefly. Uh, Tennessee is one. So you can defend yourself, but you can't quite stand your ground. It may You may get into what weapon you use. Uh, maybe you have to meet force with the same amount of force. Um, so it's a uh, it's a lesser variation of it. And the bottom level uh, that I mentioned earlier is a duty to retreat state where you have the duty to attempt to retreat uh, unless you're cornered or you have no way out. Uh, you cannot meet force with force. That's called a duty to retreat state. Uh, Roland's going to teach this course. Roland's background, he's an instructor on firearms, self-defense, home and vehicle defense, maritime security, and armed security officer training. He's a licensed private investigator, a law enforcement instructor, criminal investigator, executive protection bodyguard, and an extradition agent. Roland founded and runs Blackhawk Security and Safety Consultants. That's a Florida-based training and security personnel com company. 
um, and uh, I'm one of his students. Uh, okay, Roland, it's all yours. All right, so um, my name is Roland Demers. I'm with Blackhawk Security and Safety Consultants out of uh, Treasure Coast, Florida, Port St. Lucie, Florida, to be more precise. And we're here today with uh, some former law enforcement, uh, former military uh, from the States and former military from overseas, and some civilians that are uh, entering the tier two law enforcement arena here in Florida. And uh, we are going to address stand your ground and castle doctrine uh, locally as it applies to the state of Florida. And we'll speak a little bit about issues that you've had in other states. The one thing I'd like to start off by saying is at the present moment, statistically, we have 35 states in the United States that have stand your ground or a um, interpretation of the stand your ground rules of engagement if you have to defend yourself. We have 15 states that are duty to retreat states. And ironically, uh, the map that reflects the duty to retreat states, I will say all match in the color blue. That being said, uh, stand your ground essentially is a, an understanding. I'm not going to say it's a statute because it changes from state to state. So it's not a statute in the state of Florida that's called stand your ground. Stand your ground relates to an understanding the constituents voted here in Florida and it was applied. And therefore, if you're in a position where you have to defend yourself, you are not required to stand your ground. By that, the state of Florida does not say you know, get up and start shooting at people that threaten you or start an argument with you in a parking lot. Rather, you have to be in a position where you truly believe that your life is at risk and you're about to potentially lose your life. You are in fear of your life and therefore feel the need to threaten with or apply deadly force. In 2012, a case uh, here in Florida, the Trayvon Martin case, uh, alongside with the person who was a shooter, George Zimmerman, uh, really shed light on Stand Your Ground in the state of Florida's concept behind the rule or the understanding of Stand Your Ground. To summarize, the case involved a volunteer uh, community activist, I'll call him George Zimmerman, who was patrolling a community and made a phone call to 911 citing that there was a person who seemed to be a troublemaker, uh, Zimmerman used some verbiage that really didn't make uh, people feel that comfortable with the way it seemed he may have been more uh, stereotyping. Nonetheless, a fight ensued. It was not clear at the present moment when it occurred as to what had happened. So uh, at, at that time, it was dubbed a stand your ground case and the shooting was clean. Uh, when agencies, organizations rather, such as the NAACP, uh, the uh, AFL-CIO and a couple of other organizations got involved, the case was um, brought to the mainstream media. Charges were brought against Zimmerman that ultimately uh, he was found not guilty. I worked under Dennis Root, who was the uh, CID or criminal investigator, who matched the timeline of events that took place that uh, reflected that Zimmerman, although being foolish in his activities, was innocent of the charges and they were essentially dropped. Stand Your Ground also uh, is interpreted in another manner uh, and cited as Castle Doctrine. The Castle Doctrine essentially 
has evolved to protect a shooter who is in defense of himself or herself and their primary residence and their, I'm sorry, and their residence or the confines of their vehicle. That being that if anything occurs within the vehicle, doors closed, music in the background, AC's on, you're in the confines and something happens, it's going to be a castle doctrine case if you find yourself a defendant uh, because the outcomes of the shooting is not in your favor at the moment. Outside of that, in the state of Florida, stand your ground applies to every last square foot um, in the state of Florida. That is not your primary residence or the confines of your vehicle. Now, with regards to castle doctrine, interestingly enough, there are some scenarios that may qualify a shooting to be castle doctrine. A uh, good example would be as you take your relatives, your family members to Disney and you decide to rent a hotel and you end up being the victim of a robbery inside your hotel. The doors are closed. You've checked in. Your family's there and luggage on the bed. And you end up involved in a shooting where you've had to defend yourself from somebody who may have uh, breached your hotel room. In that particular case, chances are that your defense attorney is going to cite castle doctrine. The reason being is that's where you were laying your head that night. That was your domicile for the evening. So there are many different ways and factors in which somebody would conclude whether you are going to cite stand your ground or castle doctrine. Another one would be is if you're in an RV traveling within the state of Florida, then either could apply. It could be a stand your ground case or a castle doctrine case, but ultimately probably castle doctrine because that's your place of domicile. That's also your public transportation. That is your transportation for the time being. So it would probably fall into the castle doctrine. Uh, Duty to retreat, now that's a major challenge. And if you live in a state where duty to retreat is the uh, rules of procedure when deciding to engage or not and in defense of yourself or your loved ones or somebody else, you are required to make every attempt to retreat, to separate yourself from the threat. And one particular case that I do cite quite a bit, we have a a lady, a single lady who lived in a two-story condominium in New Jersey. Uh, her master bedroom was on the second floor. She had a balcony on the second floor uh, just outside of her um, bedroom. Uh, we had sliding glass doors leading to a small balcony. About 3 o'clock in the morning, she had a uh, burglary. person broke into her property, proceeded to go from the first floor up the staircase to her bedroom. She armed herself, tucked herself in a corner by the night table. The person broke into the room and she shot him twice. The outcome to that was that the lady found herself being charged and became a defendant in a criminal case, ultimately in a civil case as well. And what occurred there was that the prosecutor showed her a series of images and these images were relating to her bedroom and the Prosecutor asked if there were sliding glass doors behind her bed, and she said yes. And he asked, could you have made it to the sliding glass doors at that time? And she said, I could have. And she said, yeah, if you jumped off the balcony, would you have died? And the lady said, probably not died, but I would have broken a leg. And that's essentially all it took for her to be found guilty in the state of New Jersey. Ultimately was sentenced, and after the sentence was imposed, she found herself the subject of a civil case in which the person she shot sued her for damages. So these are things you can look forward to in a duty to retreat state. In Florida, that couldn't happen. That in Florida, happen. that would never happen.
That would never have happened. Uh, I have law enforcement officers here with me today uh, from the wonderful state of Tennessee and New Jersey, respectively, and we've talked about it. Um, and I think they're going to chime in at some point uh, with regards to their position on Stand Your Ground. You? I, I love living in Florida. Want to come over here? You want to put him in front of the, Yeah. No? Yeah, right there. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll see his pretty face, but he's going to make some comments. No, I, I, um, I think that as a resident uh, in a state like Florida, it makes perfect sense to be able to not only protect yourself, but to be able to protect your family. Uh, Tennessee has doesn't say stand your ground. It is a right to defend your state. So, of course, that opens up a lot of interpretation when you get yourself uh, lawyers involved. Uh, there always becomes the argument as to whether you used excessive force on the force continuum or um, you could have done something else, perhaps, you know, beat them with a baseball bat as opposed to shoot them. Um, I am a firm believer that if somebody breaks into your home, uh, you have the right to defend yourself. Now, as I related to you earlier, uh, my wife is five foot two and weighs 100 pounds. And if somebody broke into the house, and uh, let's say in the state of uh, New Jersey, where this incident took place, and my wife uh, shot that person and weighs, like I said, 100 pounds soaking wet, I think she would have a far better cry of being able to convince a court that she was in fear for her life. Uh, I, on the other hand, being 6'2 and 250, uh, would probably not be able to sell that story. In Tennessee? Uh, in Tennessee, I could, well, you know, here's the, here's the problem. You know, being a former law enforcement officer, my training is, it's like if you're a professional boxer, you go into a bar fight. Yeah. You know, you're, you're lethal. That's, you know, your hands are your deadly weapons. Well, I'm a trained law enforcement officer. So I would have to go to a, the extreme to avoid using deadly force. Okay, now, I, I'm also, I can also, I believe, sell that. I was awoken from a deep sleep at 3 in the morning. Uh, somebody kicked in my bedroom door and stated they're gonna rape my wife and they're gonna kill me nine ways from Sunday. I reached over into my nightstand, grabbed my uh, duty pistol and fired five shots. Three I hit, two I missed because it was dark and the suspect was killed. I think I could sell that, okay? Maybe not in the blue state. So I'm a firm believer in stand your ground. I'm a firm believer in castle doctrine. I think you have the right to defend yourself. So I also have a former law enforcement officer from the state of New Jersey, and I'm curious to know how you felt about operating as a civilian in the state of New Jersey, having to follow the rules of duty to retreat as a civilian. Well, as a civilian in New Jersey, uh, first of all, there's not that many firearms issued, permits to carry and so forth. Out of maybe 9 million people, there's maybe 1,100 permits that are issued to citizens. So. Think about that. Nine million people, 1,100 permits to carry. I just want to chime in on something on a figure because this is really important. Here in the state of Florida, you have 34,000 law enforcement related employees, that not being patrol officers exclusively. That means administrative support. In the state of Florida, you have 2.3 million concealed carry holders. Crazy, crazy numbers. Very diverse. Um, and that excludes the, the police officers, of course. Um, but however, being a citizen in New Jersey, 
and also having a dual role as a law enforcement officer, um, I, I completely support the uh, Castle Doctrine, uh, the right to stand your ground. Um, however, it is tricky. Um, for example, if I was at home, somebody broke into my home, I live on the second floor apartment, it's my duty to retreat, uh, whether it means jumping out the window, going down the fire escape, that's my duty and obligation. However, there's the other side of me that if I'm in fear for my life and or my family, my children, my spouse, I believe I have the legal authority to dispatch a subject who has become an aggressor towards me. End of story. And I would gladly take my uh, time at a grand jury and watch the jury either bill it or no bill it. That's what happens. Every police shooting in New Jersey, every officer is brought into court. The, the charges are presented, even on a good shooting, and the, the, the process is either billed or it's no billed. And if it's no billed, you're off the hook. So um, it, it's, it's a very, very pleasant place to live in Florida, knowing that we have nice support. Welcome to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so I posed a question to your online viewers, see if anybody chimes in. I'm curious to know of their opinion whether this vast migration from Northerners all of a sudden to the South is because they are um, conscious of the fact that stand your ground is a safer state to live in. Do you think that's having an impact on the migration that they're running from duty to retreat states? Because one thing we did see here is that when people move from uh, other states, the first thing they're doing is they're loading up on firearms and applying for concealed carries. And uh, I'm just curious to see if that's one of the influencers that has bring, is bringing them here to the state of Florida. So if anybody can chime in, that'd be great. I don't have any statistics, but I think anecdotally, I've heard people say that's one factor, but I don't think it's the only one. I came from New Jersey. Economics is, a, is the bigger factor. Taxes. 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 Fees. Motor vehicle fees. I think you're, we have high car insurance, but I think you have so essentially, uh, we, I was trying to research to find out, I believe that the state of Florida is the, the brainchild of Stand Your Ground. I couldn't find the information to know if there was another state that implemented it first or enforced it or encouraged it. I know that the state of Florida is known throughout the states as the most um, aggressive um, supporter of Stand Your Ground. Uh, according to what I've heard on the streets is that we're just a bunch of crazy gun-toting maniacs out here trying to shoot people, and I don't really see that. I can say as a concealed carry instructor that I have uh, dealt with every demographic, every gender, every age bracket. I have dealt with people from different states. I've dealt with a vast majority of students that are moving from the northern states, uh, wanting to pursue their concealed carry. Uh, shameless plug. If you're somebody who is into the duty to retreat lifestyle, I ask you to change your driver's license and zip code. Uh, come election time, you could head north or head west or head east until you can't head no more because we want to keep it standing your ground. We want to support um, law-abiding gun citizens. That's what uh, stand your ground and the Castle Doctrine are all about. It's a, it's about supporting law-abiding citizens period and giving them the right 
to live a life and not to be in fear. And uh, we recently have had a uptick in local sheriffs who are vocal on other social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, on our local uh, news stations. And um, they are now showing up to drug houses on YouTube, giving the information who the homeowner is of the home, giving warnings about the area and the neighborhood and what's happening. And we even have a sheriff on record two weeks ago saying that if somebody breaks in your house, do us a favor and shoot them and save us taxpayer dollars. That's how aggressive the state of Florida is against criminals. And that is what Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine are there for, to give the upper hand to the law-abiding citizen who wants to live a happy and free life. And I, although there's no uh, direct correlation to Stand Your Ground, Castle Doctrine, and the Second Amendment, I know that our you know, freedom to bear arms, um, as well as Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine, are elements that are always at risk and being attacked. And I would like to question the people that are against the Second Amendment, Stand Your Ground and Castle Doctrine, so why they feel that way. So if anybody wants to chime in and send us an email, I'm excited to answer that question or hear their opinion on why. Yeah, uh, com comment in YouTube. I'll, I'll respond. Okay. Do you, would you describe the Florida law, but what is the legislation itself for standing ground? Oh, so, so stand your ground again. It's not. So there's no statute in the state of Florida that's titled or dubbed stand your ground. It's more of an. It's more of an understanding, but it relates to the threat of lethal force when lethal force is brought upon you. And the Florida statute that oversees the concealed carry process is one that is heavily uh, intermingled, and that's the Florida Statute 790. And Florida Statute 790 uh, speaks of uh, your concealed carry policies. And uh, there, that is, there is a direct correlation to stand your ground and castle doctrine because your rules of engagement are identified in that statute and what you can do and what you cannot do, where you can carry, where you cannot carry. And uh, for example, warning shots. Warning shots is uh, directly associated to stand your ground and castle doctrine because uh, many people have said in class that they would either fire off a warning shot or they'd shoot somebody in the leg or shoot somebody in the arm. And under Stand Your Ground and under Castle Doctrine, I want to uh, um, really uh, stress to those of you who are considering carrying a firearm or some form of weapon here in the state of Florida. If you pull or draw your weapon, you had better be thinking that your life is about to be taken. And by that, I don't mean a parking space. By that, I don't mean somebody insulted your wife, somebody kicked your dog or your kids. I mean, you are literally in fear of your life. You believe that you are within seconds, if not minutes away from your life being taken. You're not to draw down on anybody. You're not to brandish your weapon in a threatening manner unless you truly believe that you are in fear of your life. Uh, the state of Florida does not encourage, but there's no, there's no known um, fine or criminal penalty if you draw your weapon and you fire a warning shot, although I, as an instructor, uh, somebody who works with the legal community, I do not recommend it. Uh, I, there, there are a variety of issues with warning shots, in my opinion, uh, especially in a standard ground scenario or castle doctrine. And the position there that most of us take is if you take, if you fire a warning shot, were you really in fear of your life? If you approach law enforcement after you fired a warning shot, and 
they're interviewing you saying you are in fear of your life, their next question is why is that projectile not inside somebody? Why is it in the ground somewhere? So were you really in fear of your life? Were you trying to scare somebody? Were you trying to be intimidating? Did you become the aggressor? So these are things that uh, understand your ground and castle doctrine need to be um, understood very clearly that uh, we're not encouraging people to draw down and just fire at will because they're scared. You have to be in genuine fear of your life. And, and that applies. It's stand your ground and castle doctrine. Stand your ground and castle. The only, yeah, stand your ground and castle doctrine has one uh, factor that separates one from the other, and it's simply location. Location of the incident is essentially the only difference. The location of where the incident occurred, either in the confines of your vehicle or on your property. And like I said, there are stand your ground um, states that say that it has to be within the structure of your residence. Um, we are not like that here in Florida. So, um, does any questions? What's, what's outside on your property count? In the state of Florida, if you are within the boundaries of your survey line, that means the blade of grass on your front yard that is on your survey line, it is part of your property, that is gonna fall under a castle doctrine case. Now, laws are not black and white. Nothing is black and white. You may have a situation where you're on your property and if you are forced to engage and this person happens to be on the sidewalk, I don't know what I'm gonna tell you. It's gonna be up to law enforcement to determine what happened. Um, if you plan on leaving the confines of your home because you're inside your residence and somebody's outside threatening to shoot you and they have a gun and you open the door and go outside and engage with that person, I'll ask law enforcement, what do we call that? If I'm inside my home, you're outside my residence, you're threatening that you're gonna shoot me and you have a gun and you're standing on the sidewalk and I walk out of my home and engage you, what could that fall under? Well, I think you have a problem because obviously you could retreat back into your home and call the police. Okay, so what you're doing is you are actually extending an incident that could be avoided. So, and potentially becoming an aggressor. I would never advocate mm -hmm. that you go out and mix it up when somebody's holding a gun, especially if you can go back in your house. Yep. If they decide to come to your front door and kick in your front door, I think that's a different story. I'll bet you And of course, I always tell the story when I moved from liberal California to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, back in the town that I lived in, you had to have the sheriff sign for your permit. And my sheriff had two pearl handled revolvers. He wore on his hip. He looked like something out of Central Casting in a Western. And I asked him, I said, Are you allowed to shoot somebody if they're threatening you on your property? I heard if I shoot them and they fall outside, I've got a problem. And he looked at me and he said, Don't worry about it, Art. He says, When we're done, he says, I'll have them eating dinner at your kitchen table. Okay, difference between California and Tennessee. His, his philosophy was somebody's threatening you or your family take care of business. I'd rather have uh, the lawyers worry about it than uh, be carried by a bunch of folks to my grave. Yeah. So I want to be clear. Although I am advocating castle doctrine and standing ground at the same token, if you can detach yourself in a safe manner, and I do this in my training, if you are forced to draw down on somebody, if you end up in that situation, but you can detach yourself. By that, I don't mean move forward. I mean move in the reverse. And you can do that in a safe manner without losing eyesight of the threat. In any case, I would refer you and ask you, please, um, try not to engage. If you can keep your eyes on somebody and not engage, that would be a much better outcome. 
In addition to that, you will always morally be psychologically responsible for the outcome of that day and you'll never forget it. So I definitely ask you to play caution to what your final decision is because it will affect you in many ways. I've had students, uh, we have one in our classroom last month who engaged somebody who uh, pushed their way through the, the door into their residence and he grabbed a shotgun, he shot him dead, one of our guys. And uh, he lives with it, but uh, he was found not guilty. The person forced their way into the house, and he was forced to shoot him in his house. And he lives in that house now. So I'm sure this is a you know, skeleton that he's going to have to live with for the rest of his life. So here in Florida, we're not encouraging you to start shooting people. Let me be clear. No matter where you're hearing us right now, we just want you to know you can defend yourself if you have to. The warning shot. Thing. The warning shot. Oh, yeah, the warning shot. Thing. Um. You say that you don't recommend it. I don't recommend a warning shot if you can't help. Now, and, and why would you, how would you be scared if you fired off a warning shot? I was in Gibson, Tennessee, over on the West Coast. So the and question is, how can we be scared if we fired off a warning shot? Yeah. You're saying that if I want to fire off a warning shot, then I can't be that scared of my, afraid of my life. Correct. I am saying that if you fire, if you fired a warning shot, Law enforcement may interpret that as in you really weren't in fear of your life. That's the interpretation that could occur. But it's more of a well, warning shot as a warning shot, trying to tell this person, look, get away from me. You know what I mean? I don't want to take this on type thing. The question was, if you fire a warning shot and you're not necessarily in fear of your life, can you do so? And what could the outcome be? Is that a fair assessment of the question? And then the scenario that was offered is a husband and wife in a retail parking lot. A person came on a bicycle, started making some inappropriate comments to the wife. Uh, the husband came out and told the person to stop. And the person, I guess, did not stop with these uh, comments or statements. And so I guess the person on the bicycle got aggressive and the husband pulled out his weapon and fired a warning shot. And in her interpretation, it was to show that there was ammunition in the firearm. Am I yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay. I would have responded to that saying her husband's going to jail for aggravated assault. So, so I have two law enforcement officers that want to chime in on this, yeah. um, and I'll, I'll let them chime in. There are no shots Wait, over the, There are no shots fired out over the back. Absolutely not. Um, I don't know any. Police department or law enforcement agency that would even condone that, um, because you have to be re responsible for those rounds, and you have no idea where they're going. Maybe in your short range parking line you may, but anywhere else you may not know where that round's going to go. Um, if you're if you're removing your weapon from the holster, it's for one reason: stop an aggressor, and that that's, that's what it means to stop the aggressor. And you shoot as many times as it takes to stop that aggressor. Um, Art, one other thing I, I want to, Art, Art I know Art's going to jump in, but I want to chime in on something, by the way. If you think for a minute that shooting into the ground is safe, I ask you to reconsider. You have gas lines. Natural gas. You have many, you know, many things that could occur. So um, there's no safe place. Kids, kids are killed every weekend in New York, Chicago from ricochets. Right. Every weekend. Ricochets, yeah. Ricochets. Every weekend. Little innocent kids. Yeah. Getting getting back to your scenario, um, words 
cannot be okay work okay if if he put his hands on you okay that is that is an assault okay if he if he stood outside your car and he's yelling at you i'm going to kill you i'm going to kill you that is an, an assault intimidation at least in the jurisdiction i was in that is a crime okay you can be charged with that but for your husband to pull out a gun a weapon and to fire the weapon either into the air or into the ground that's an aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and your husband could have been arrested is if he had a legal handgun and now he has a felony he can no longer have a, uh, a legal handgun they will take away that privilege also it's an illegal discharge within the city limits there's there's a there's a there's a variety of uh, charges that can be brought upon him in that case uh now remember we weren't there we don't know if you were truly in fear of your life or not you're stating now that you're in fear of your life if you were genuinely in fear of your life and you were genuinely in fear of your life it would be it, it would be something that would have to be uh, mitigated to find out what the extent of the responsibility is where your husband was standing at the moment where the aggressor was at were they still on the bicycle were they off the bicycle had they struck you were they you know within striking distance you know, there's a lot of things that will be taken. Back in the car, locked the doors, and law enforcement. But understand something. It, we understand we're not a duty to retreat state. That's not the question. The issue that arises is that for Castle Doctrine or Stand Your Ground to be a formidable defense for your husband, you, well, you have to be in true fear of your life, not fear of your groceries being taken, not fear of your car being stolen, um, not and and. Again, just because somebody puts hands on you does not necessarily mean, once again, that you're going to be in fear of your life because people have physical confrontations all the time. It's when it escalates that you believe that your life is now in danger that would, that would change things. So I don't think we know the right answer, wrong answer to what occurred in your case. We can speculate based on what you told us. Um, it, would be a, it would be a tough case to, to try, probably. Um, or maybe not to try, but to figure out. Well, you know, typically when law enforcement gets to the scene, they go with the facts that they're given. Yeah. And, you know, just listening to what I heard, to, to pull out a weapon and to discharge a weapon, in what you described, in, in my opinion, because this is a, warning, is, is a warning shot, which you said, you don't fire warning shots. We don't fire warning shots. We don't aim for the legs, the, the hand, the arm. You know, we shoot center mass to kill, to neutralize the threat. That's what we do. In your particular case, you said he fired a warning shot. I, I, I think you'd have a problem with that. Yeah. Now, now with, regards to stand, with regards to stand your ground and castle doctrine, uh, when I do my concealed carry course, which is where I really chime in on it also, I want you to be aware of the fact that we all have heard this, every last one of us that's old enough to have been in front of a television, um, this is across the board nationwide uh, that an officer typically will say uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to speak with an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. And so on and so on. So with that being said, uh, if you end up, this is a public service uh, announcement for you. If you end up, unfortunately, getting involved in a situation where you've had to, or you believe that you've had to defend your life, the best you can do is shut it down. Because your interpretation of the truth 
is not necessarily law enforcement's interpretation of truth. And this is a perfect example. Uh, so um, not saying anything is something you also have a, the freedom to um, practice. And it's not because it's a stand your ground policy. It's because it's just one of the uh, freedoms that's extended to us through that wonderful thing we called what? Uh, the Constitution, I think it's called. Yeah, Constitution. So, um, yeah, put these things into play. Uh, Why don't, just, why don't you just mention your school and what, what you do? Yeah, so if you're ever in Florida, um, or if you ever want to come and learn how we uh, crazy people operate here legitimately and legally, uh, Blackhawk Security and Safety Consultants, we are a tactical consulting firm. We are a security company, a security school. Uh, we offer a multitude of services for civilian law enforcement and tier two law enforcement. Uh, we can help qualify people. We do active shooter training, uh, people defense tactics, home threat assessments, uh, and uh, we teach people about the laws here in the state of Florida. So uh, come and check us out. 772-999-GUNS. Yes, 999-GUNS. Keith is back here. I'm going to just spend a few minutes and talk about the philosophy, um, the right to life, and uh, which includes the right to defend it as, as best one is able. Um, that's the principle behind stand your ground legislation and behind the concept of stand your ground. So always keep in mind, state governments can recognize rights, uh, they can infringe on rights, and they do so in a widely varying manner. Um, the U.S. and state constitutions uh, both should be taken into account when you're considering the right to keep and bear arms, for example, the right to stand your ground. Uh, Florida, as an example, has a clear right to keep and bear arms in the state constitution. Uh, it's Article 1, Section 8 of the Florida Constitution says the right of the people to keep and bear arms in defense of themselves and of the lawful authority of the state shall not be infringed, except that the manner of bearing arms may be regulated by law. What that says is, is Florida, you don't need to cite the Second Amendment uh, anytime in Florida regarding the right to keep and bear arms. Um, it's, it's clearer to just cite the state constitution. So the Second Amendment it actually doesn't matter. It's the Florida Constitution that matters. Uh, the exception in there where they say in the Florida Constitution, except that the manner of bearing arms may be regulated by law. Uh, one thing that authorizes the Florida state government to do is they can require concealed carry. Um, and Florida does have a concealed carry uh, permit. You have to get permission from the state to do it, but you can conceal carry in Florida, but you can't open carry. And that's covered by that section of the of the uh, Florida State Constitution. Uh, New Jersey is the other state that was discussed in the class. New Jersey is one of the few states that does not recognize the right to keep and bear arms in the state constitution. That right does not exist in the state constitution. Um, Article 1, Section 1 of New Jersey, as my example, uh, it does guarantee unalienable rights, including, quote, defending life and protecting property, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't say that you can do that with firearms and the state uh, in a lot of cases doesn't allow you to do so legally. Um, uh, other cases you do, like one of the uh, officer formerly from uh, New Jersey brought up some cases where you can do it. But in New Jersey, you have to be very careful legally uh, with using the, the right to keep and bear arms and defend yourself, even inside your house. Uh, outside your house, you're in trouble in New Jersey. So Florida, New Jersey are two uh, kind of the two extremes. Uh, there may be states slightly worse than New Jersey, but New Jersey is one of, one of the worst on that. Um, 
the number that was mentioned in the class is interesting for New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey has 1,100 concealed carry permits, is what the officer said. Uh, that's for 9 million citizens. I calculated that. If you don't believe my government school math, it comes out to 0.01%. Uh, that's, that's nil. Uh, you can round that off to zero. The chance in Florida, if I mean in uh, New Jersey, of being in public um, and having someone, a concealed carry permit holder, help in a mass shooting, for example, is probably pretty close to nil. I think you round it off to zero. Uh, Florida, on the other hand, has 2.2 million concealed carry permits for 22 million citizens. Uh, that's 10%. The 10% of the population of Florida has a concealed weapon license. And the uh, national average police response time from the Bureau of Justice statistics, I looked this up. This is an interesting question here because you think about uh, the, the police versus the citizens responding uh, where, where somebody's using force, including deadly force in public uh, against citizens. Um, national average for crimes of violence. So this is the worst category. Uh, under five minutes is 28%. So 28% of the time the police respond in under five minutes. Uh, six to 10 minutes is a 30% response. And 11 minutes to one hour is a 34%. So rounding off, it's about a third of the time it's five minutes, a third of the time it's five to 10, and a third of the time it's between 10 and an hour. Uh, a lot of bad can happen in five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, I'll leave it there. Uh, the, uh, the Second Amendment, uh, I was gonna read that, um, as far as the discusses the limit on, uh, on Congress and on the federal government. So the Second Amendment says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, the, the operating clause here is just the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, the beginning, the well-regulated militia being necessary, blah, 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 that doesn't change what the operative statement here is. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What that's saying is that Congress, Supreme Court, the president, the federal government altogether is not authorized constitutionally to infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. All federal gun control is, is unconstitutional. Uh, it's very clear. And this is just a reminder. Second Amendment is a reminder of what the federal government is not allowed to do. Uh, Article 1 that defines what Congress is authorized to do. The delegated powers to Congress has nothing about firearms in it. Therefore, Congress cannot regulate firearms constitutionally. Uh, Second Amendment is just a reminder. They take the Second Amendment away, it doesn't matter. Congress still has no authority to regulate firearms. As far as the, uh, the right goes, I was gonna read a little bit from the Declaration of Independence, which is really the principle behind this says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. That's really where all this comes from, from the uh, concept point of view. The purpose of government is to defend rights, 
one of the rights that they specifically remind us in the Declaration is the right to life. And that right includes the right to defend it as best one can. The stand your ground versus duty to retreat, it's a legal question. It's not a rights question. You have the right to stand your ground because you have the right to life. That includes the right to defend it. But your state may not recognize it legally, and it may infringe on it by putting you in jail for using it. Uh, so be careful out there, folks, and thanks for watching. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may be upsetting to Brian Stelter. Please do not expose him to it. For completely legitimate reasons, Taylor Lawrence is requesting any information you may have about the following individuals. The Twitter subroutine appears to be malfunctioning. Pay no attention to it. Did you know that the word liberty is a dog whistle for insurrectionists? If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science. Scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.